Good morning, Radio. Good morning, Radio. Blob Radio Talk Show. We're just glad to be with you this morning. I'm Brother Plum, along with Evangelist Wonder Clay. We're with God's Sacred Word, and we're just glad to have this opportunity to share with you this morning of the Book of Romans. Start off. Let's say this is a three three week presentation and we just ask that you just bear with us as we continue to venture through this mighty word. We open with the word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we just love you and we need you. We thank you for those in our audience that they might receive your message with the heart and being that obedient servant that you call us to be. We just ask to go out a special healing for the ages, dear God, and we just ask for healing for all that's in need. And we just, not necessarily the physical healing, but the spiritual healing as well as emotional healing. And we just know that you are truly the great physician and you have the power. And we just thank you to God for working through us this morning that we could relay your precious message out here and just let it be received with an open heart. We just thank you and we love you. I just say good morning. We are Dealing with the book of Romans, per se, he said, we know that Paul was the author of the book, and I said, Paul was chosen by God to be the chief expositor of the gospel to the world. And this is epistle to the Romans, Paul's most complete explanation of the understanding of the gospel. It was written all about, I say, in the winter of A.D. 57 and 58, and Paul was in Corinth at the close of his third missionary journey. The eve of his departure to Jerusalem with the offering of money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. The purpose of this epistle is to let the Romans Christian know that he was on the way to Rome. And too, this was before God had told Paul, that he was, he would see him in Rome. That is Acts 23:11. And Paul did not, as yet, feel sure that he would get away from Jerusalem alive. It would, in which case, he and the apostles of the Gentiles should leave on file in the capital of the world a written explanation of the gospel. That Paul's letter to the Roman is a powerful exposition of the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ and of faith in Christ as a source of salvation. It is also implicitly implied to the Christians at Rome and in all and to all Christians to hold fast to the faith. They are to resist any pressure put on them to accept the doctrine of salvation through works of the law. At the same time, they are not to exaggerate Christian freedom as an abdication of responsibilities for others or as repudiation of God's law and will. The Romans, I say, is not the first because it was written first it was not. The cause is the great foundational letter of the New Testament. 
In this book, you will find a full sweep of salvation from beginning to end and all this story. If you want to see what God is doing with you as an individual in which the human race as a whole then master the book of Romans. As you study this book, you discover that it develops salvation in three parts, past, present, and future. In other words, in themes, themes are in past, I shall, I was saved when I believed in Jesus Christ. The present, I am being saved as a character of Jesus Christ now becomes manifested in my life. And the future, I shall be saved when at last resurrection life with the glorified body. I stand in the presence of Jesus, of the Son of God, and of God. These three tenses of salvation can be gathered up in three words. They are familiar to those who study the Bible to any extent. Justification is the first word, the past tense. I was justified when I believed in Jesus Christ. Justification is the righteous standing before God that we receive when Jesus entered our lives. The state of being without spots or blemish, as if we have never sinned. The second word, present, is that much misunderstood word, sanctification. Oswald Chambers has said, sanctification is the appearing of the characteristics, the perfection of the Lord Jesus in terms of our human personalities. That is good. That is a good definition of sanctification. It is the process of becoming more and more Christ-like. The third word is future tense, is glorification, which is the completion of this transformation when we stand in the presence of Christ. Here again, that's just a quick overview of dealing with Romans. Next speaker you will hear will be Evangelist Clay. She's going to discuss chapters 1 and 2 of Romans. Evangelist. Thank you, Brother Tom, who is certainly a man of God for that awesome summary. I'm your host, uh, Evangelist Wanda Clay. And before we get into our lesson, let us thank uh, Minister Joe Lewis, our program manager and sponsor, Granny's Place for Allowing God's Sacred Word to air on their show. You can find God's Sacred Word on Facebook at Keep God First, and the first is reading 1ST. There you'll find the questions, the answers. Uh, you can ask questions. You can give comments. And it's a good uh, website, so check it out. It's a part of this show. Now let's get into our lesson. We're in the book of Romans, which Brother Plum has said that we divided into five chapters uh, each week for, yeah, we divided into five chapters each Friday for three weeks. Yeah, now I got this right. This week we'll be studying Romans chapters one through five. Now, I must say that this is my third time completely reading the Bible, and 
I can say I saw Romans as a different look this time. It's a very good book. I would encourage everybody to read Romans. So in our lesson in the book of Acts, uh, last month we discussed Jesus leaving. We discussed the Holy Spirit coming. We discussed the gospel. We discussed names being given to believers. Uh, some will call, they call them Christians, brethren, saints, uh, those of the way, Nazarenes. And we talked about Paul's beating from the Jews that he received. And then uh, he was sent to Rome on the ship where they had a horrible hurricane. Uh, the ship was wrecked. They endured a lot of trouble on the way. They made it. Paul went to trial. Paul was given two years in prison, but instead of going to prison, he was given house arrest. And there, when he was given house arrest, Paul still spoke to the everybody. He spoke to the Jews and he spoke to the Gentiles. He healed them. He, the Holy Spirit was put on them all while he was there under house arrest. Sounds like to me that the Holy Spirit was working this. So after two years, Paul leaves prison, and he goes on his journey, and he writes this very long letter to the Roman church uh, to encourage them and to lift them up in spirit and give them some sound doctrine of the gospel you'll find that in chapter 1 and 11. Now, he didn't start the church in Rome. It's believed that a group of Gentiles that were at Pentecost started the church. Paul had never been there. So just in case they hadn't been baptized with the water and the Holy Spirit, he was wanting to do this with them, and then he was wanting to bond with them. And in his introduction to the Romans, since they didn't know him, he tells them who he is because they had probably heard of him, but he had not been a part of that church. He wasn't involved there. It's just like we get junk mail in the mail. We look at it. It's not somebody that we know or are familiar with, so we throw it in the trash. Or we get a phone call with the ID showing we don't recognize the ID. So we don't answer the phone. So for this reason, Paul is um, making himself be known to the Christians that were in Rome over there. And he goes on in chapter 1, 16 through 17, and he explains that he's not ashamed of the gospel because the just live by faith as he does. And he was letting them know that he had been in prison. He'd been chased out of Thessalonia. He'd been smuggled out of Berea. He had been laughed at, regarded as a fool. He had been stoned. And still he had faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what living by just is all about. And here, Paul is giving them a brief lesson and a letting them know how to worship and how to praise God in verse 20. Because he says there's no reason for anyone not to know God. And making idle images of God is against God's will. And since they were doing this thing, 
it tells us in a chapter, I think it's 2, 28 through 32, how God deals with us. And these are the things in those verses, 28 through 32, that happens to us. We turn our back on God. We must remember that God is controlled and he has all the power. And it's up to us to have a sweet or bitter life. In chapter 2, Paul teaches them about passing judgment when you're doing the same thing as the Jews were doing to the Gentiles. So Paul was letting them know, whether you sin under the law or without the law, which is the Ten Commandments, whether you are a Jew or Gentile, and whether you are circumcised or not circumcised, that there is a price to pay before God concerning your secret lives. So this is where justification, uh, salvation, and grace comes in to all of us who have been reborn again. Because as you remember, Jesus was the last sacrifice, and he did die for a sin. So what is salvation and grace that God so graciously gave us when we're reborn and living on faith by God that we can't see. Okay, salvation. Salvation means to save the redemption of man from bondage of sin and eternal death, but having everlasting happiness, our remission of sins uh, is given to us. We are no longer under destruction. Like I said, Jesus was the last sacrifice for our sins. And if you want to know more about salvation, uh, you can go through these books and read them in the Bible, Exodus 14 and 13, Hebrews, Exodus chapter 14, Luke chapter 19, Psalms 29, and Revelation 19. And then we come to the word justification, as Brother Plum was telling us. Justification is remission of sin from guilt and punishment or an act of free grace by which God pardons the sin and accepts uh, us as righteous, an account of Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. You can find that in Romans 5, 1 through 10, Romans 10, 3 to 9, uh, 3 to 9. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, find those uh, verses there. And then there's grace, which is most needed. Grace is God's forgiving mercy, uh, where we find favor of God, goodwill and kindness, and the free unmerited love and favor by God, which none of us deserve, neither Jews nor Gentiles. You can find that in Romans 11 and 5, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 4 and 29, 3 and 8. You can also find it in 1 Peter 1 and 13. These are the things that Paul was writing to the Roman church while he was in Corinth, strengthening them, building them up, because he wasn't sure if another disciple 
or apostle had been there with them. But the Roman Christians were, how can I put it, they were in better shape than some of the other churches that were being uh, built. Not in better condition money-wise, but mentally-wise. They were strong in the word, and they believed in God. Now, the next voice you will hear will be that of Brother Plum. Thank you, Angelus Clay, for such an introduction and explanation of chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3 starts off, they said, Obedience to the law. What advantage then has the Jews? Here again, the Jews knew that they were the chosen people, but the thing is, they relied on, quote, unquote, their father, Abraham. But as I said, so often, you see, God doesn't have any grandkids. Everybody's first generation. You have to come to God yourself. And that has all there is to it. It says, what profit is there of circumcision? The Jews thought that, you know, because they were circumcised on the eighth day, that they had a special place. And that would just, you know, satisfy their basic tradition and what God specifies. But it's just all part of it. God says, well, what if some did not believe? Shall, they, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Truly not. God is faithful to all of his promises. He doesn't make any promises that it's not fulfilled. That the uniqueness of him, he's all-powerful. What he says will happen. Just a matter of time as to when it will come about. But uh, we have to be obedient servants, as he says, all the time. Does God want us to be true to him? Let every man be a liar, because it is written, Thou shalt, shall though that thou mayest be justified by the saying, and the mightiest overcome that thou art judged. I said, Everybody will be judged. It all depends on the acts that you perform. But if our unrighteousness commands the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous? Take it, vengeance. I speak as a man. Here again, God is most righteous. But as you say, we are, because of flesh and because of the sin of Adam, we are of the sin nature. We got sin all around us. That's just the way it is. But if the truth of God has more bound through me, through my life, unto the, his glory, why? Yeah, and I also judge as a sinner because they say that's just our sin nature. From 3.23 specified, it says all have sinned. All, not some, not few, but all have sinned. And we're all, because of the sin nature, we have that element. But I say God wants you to take on his person out there. Accept him as your Lord and Savior, and you will have your spot in the eternal life, being with the heavenly Father. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. I said the law is specified there. It's right there. You have all kinds of ways to acknowledge that sin is in this world. As it says, the wages of sin is death. And it said, are we dying in this day and time? Constantly, very, very 
few gets, nobody gets out of this world alive. You all have to die. Said the righteousness by faith. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. See, God is not, does not differentiate between this, that, and the other. He requires righteousness. There's no, you know, you can't make an excuse. God's blood can cleanse us from any sin, but it's powerless to make an excuse. You make an excuse, you you, you uh, don't get by with that. Said God is all about righteousness. And said, and for that we have the example of Abraham. Abraham was a critic for faith by the belief factor. Said, not by, as a matter of fact, he wasn't. I said, a lot of folks just said because he wasn't circumcised at the particular time that it wasn't counted until then. But as I say, he was a counted. That's an accounting term to indicate that uh, it's covered, for, put it that way. And I said, by obedience, Abraham it was attributed with the righteousness because he obeyed. God told Abraham to leave his family, leave his territory, leave all that other stuff out there, but didn't still... He did, not knowing where he was going or how he was going to get there. But he just said, leave, and he was obedient. That's, I don't want to say blind faith, but I said he was just being obedient to what thus says the Lord. Didn't give him any debate, as most of us do. Every time we're required to do something, we want to ask, are you sure? Since God is very sure, if he tells you to do something, that's what he wants you to do. Not think about it, not debate about it, not to ask your friends, you know, should I do this or should I do that? No. If God specified for you to do, guess what? You ought to do. You know, without any equivocation at all, just do it. But as you say, well, that's Nike saying, just do it. You remember that saying? But that's that's what you have to do when God specifies something for you to do. I said, he sets you aside for that particular purpose. So just do it. Ooh, and I said here again, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Here again, this is what Jesus did for us, death, burial, and resurrection. I said, he, he is our all in all, folks. He doesn't, he doesn't leave anything undone. When he was on the cross, he said, well, I have finished the works. He said, finished, not Hardly, not halfway, but he's finished everything that God called him to do. He did. And as a consequence, God raised him back and called him to himself. That we have justification through Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you say, that's by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Did you hear again? Justification is said, just as if I had not sinned. That he paid the price, people. The penalty for sin is death. And he was that death element for all of us. That he died for the sins of the world. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world. And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him 
shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It's everlasting, forever and ever. But uh, we have a tendency not to, I don't want to say believe that fact, but we just, I said the whole fact is about trust, folks. Do we really trust God to do what he says he's going to do? We don't. We'll give him this or give him that, but then again, we'll take it right back. But the thing is, he wants total trust. Trust me for any and everything because they said, I am sufficient. I, I can supply, I can give, and I can take care of you. All I ask of you is to trust me. And I said that belief factor is very strong. It just He just asked us to trust him. He said the righteous man, he said, an innocent man, one that is unjustly condemned. Everyone will pity such a one. But few who put such a value upon his life as to hazard their own instead. A good man is a youthful man who is more than barely a righteous man. It is but some that will give their lives, their body for body, and it is a daring act if they do so. I say, nobody was giving up your life. I say, every time put to the test, they say, well, I'll go so far, but I'm not willing to give my life. And that's that's what our Heavenly Father did for us. He gave his son to die for all sin. And as I say, we just have to remember these facts. He's already paid the price. He died for our sin. And he said, he's just asking you to live for him. Are you truly willing to live for him? He died for you, but all he wants us to do is live for him. Here again, thank you for your time, and we just close in prayer one more time. Our Father, truly, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this energy. We just ask you, brother, something that the text will resonate with the listening audience out there and just be, let your light shine in their lives. Let them know that in reality, you're in a true, dark, and sinful world. But we just ask that you just allow your life to shine through all of this darkness. And darkness cannot stand where the light is. It may be a candle glow, but as I say, light is light. And it should it always overcome darkness. Thank you for this time, and we just ask that you would just continue to lead, guide, and direct our lives in everything we say and do. And now I'll turn it over to Evangelist Clay to close us out and advertise next week. Okay, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to us this morning. Don't forget to uh, check out God's Sacred Word on Facebook at Peace Keep God First. I think you will enjoy it there next week. We will be in the Book of Romans. We'll be, what is that? Six. Six through 12. So we'll be looking for you then. Bye. May God bless you. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. See you next week. Bye.